I want to talk to you tonight about the kingdom of God. We are starting a series. We, we sort of started it last week. Pastor Brian gave us a message telling us what is so amazing about grace. And grace is the language of the kingdom of God. I want to open up tonight about the kingdom of God. And I want to give us what's sort of going to be like an airplane conversation. You ever sit next to an overzealous Christian on an airplane? And you've got 45 minutes or an hour and 45 minutes. And you're going to get the big picture from this person. That's what I want to give you tonight, but I want to condense it from an hour and 45 minutes to like an hour and 25 minutes. I want to help you there, so you're welcome. I want to give this to you tonight because when we talk about the kingdom of God, we want to make sure we understand what it is we're talking about. This is going to be a very high-level overview, and the messages that you're going to hear starting next week until about the Thanksgiving season are all going to be centered around the kingdom of God, and they're going to be specific about what life looks like in the kingdom. But I want to talk to you about the kingdom for just a moment because let's ask ourselves, if somebody were to ask you, if somebody were to ask you, what was Jesus' number one message for the world? Three years Jesus did his ministry before he was crucified and he rose again and went back into heaven. And for that three years, if I were to ask you on the street, what was Jesus' message about? If we had to boil down all three years of his ministry and of his preaching into just a quick five seconds, Phil, what's his message about? What would you say? What would you say? You could say repent. Jesus told us to repent. That was the message that John the Baptist gave before Jesus came, and Jesus continued that message. Some of us might say, hey, Jesus would talk to us about grace and about mercy and about forgiveness. We might say that Jesus would talk about heaven or maybe about hell or maybe about money. You ever heard that Jesus talked an awful lot about money? I want to give you some numbers. This is interesting to me. In the New Testament, in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, the four stories of the men who followed Jesus and wrote down what he did and what he said, Jesus spoke of heaven about 32 times. He spoke of hell about 60 times, almost twice as much. He spoke of money. It's hard to count this one. If you count the number of times he speaks of money, it's much more than the other two, but Really, Jesus gave 11 stories or 11 parables that were centered around money. Jesus talked a lot about heaven, hell, and money. And these are things that are important to us today. But in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, over 126 times the kingdom of God was mentioned. In the three-year period of Jesus' ministry, overwhelmingly, the message Jesus came to bring was not simply that God loves you. He does love you, but that's not all. The message Jesus came to bring was not simply that God has a plan for your life. He does have a plan for your life, but that's not all. It wasn't simply that he came to die for you. He did come to die for you, but that's not all. And it's not simply that he was here to rise again and give you victory, although that's what he does. Amen? All of those things are encompassed and point to the bigger picture that Jesus came to give us. And the bigger picture is that we are now living in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The three things I want to talk to you tonight are about the nature of the kingdom, I want to talk about the purpose of the kingdom, and I want to talk about our place in the kingdom. And let me tell you why I chose these three points. I chose these three points for these reasons. I want us to imagine today, and in America today, it's not that hard to imagine. Imagine that you are watching the news And you could trust the news. We really got to put our imaginations to work here. Imagine you're watching the news and you can trust what you're being told. No fake news, all legit, all right? And you hear on the news 
that an opposing kingdom has taken root in America. That we are being invaded by a kingdom. And a king is leading his kingdom into America to do a forced takeover. And we are helpless to fight back against this king. I want you to imagine what the questions you would begin to ask yourself would be. I imagine here's what I would think. If there's an opposing kingdom coming in to take over, I would ask myself three things. Number one, what's the nature of this kingdom? What's it like? What's it about? Number two, I would ask, what's the purpose of this? What's the goal of this encroaching kingdom? What is the king looking to accomplish as he takes over in this culture? What is the purpose and the nature of this kingdom? And number three, I would want to know selfishly, where's my place in this kingdom? Where's my place in this kingdom? How do we fit in? How do I fit in? These are the things that I believe we'd want to know. And I want us to look at our reality tonight because I think that most of the people in the room tonight are Christians. Maybe not all. Perhaps you're in this place and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your King or as your Lord. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that tonight. But for the Christians in the room, I want us to think about the fact that Jesus' purpose for coming for us was not simply to save me and to redeem me and to renew me and to bring me to heaven when I die. It's more than that. It's about the collective, it's about the kingdom, and it's about the people. So let's talk about the kingdom. Three things we want to look at tonight. The nature of the kingdom, the purpose of the kingdom, and our place in the kingdom. Let's look at the nature. Let's look at the idea of a kingdom. For us in America, the idea of a kingdom is a little bit foreign. It was about 240 years ago that our great-great-great-great-great-grandparents decided they no longer wanted to be under the dominion of a king. In fact, if you look at the word kingdom and you separate it out, you can sort of get the meaning of it. A kingdom is literally the dominion of the king. It's where the king's rule and reign is respected. It's where the king's rule and reign is enforced. Wherever the king has dominion and authority, there is his kingdom. And for us as Americans, the idea of a kingdom is a little bit foreign and perhaps even a little bit repulsive. We are born into a nation that is a constitutional republic. We elect representatives, and those representatives help us elect our leaders all the way up to the executive office of the United States. And theoretically, in a constitutional republic, we are not guided by the whims of a king, but we are led by the collective will of the people. Now, it doesn't function that way anymore, but that's not my message tonight. You want to know about that? Ask Pastor Brian. He has thoughts and opinions that he'll share. But tonight... I want to talk about a kingdom because we don't really live in a kingdom. And for most of us, the idea of being under the dominion and authority of a king is repulsive and it encroaches upon my personal freedom. Personally, I like to be king. I like to have my own kingdom and I want to have dominion in my own kingdom. My home, my career, my job, my hobbies, these are all my kingdom and I don't want anybody, perhaps even a deity like God to encroach on that but the truth is Jesus did not simply come to save me he came to make me and you a part of his kingdom you see the kingdom of God is where God's dominion and authority are enforced and are in place 
And this happens in two ways. Number one, God's dominion truly is sovereign and complete in one sense. Amen? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, and it also says in Colossians 1.17, that in him all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. There is a sense in which God's dominion is total and complete. There is no rogue molecule in the universe that God does not have control and authority and dominion over. Amen? Let's not forget that we are talking about a sovereign and total king. But when God talks about his kingdom, and specifically in the New Testament, when Jesus preached the message of the kingdom, I don't believe that was the message that Jesus was preaching primarily. The message Jesus was preaching was not so much about God's complete and total control. He was preaching about the dominion that God wants to have in our lives. That involves our decisions and our thoughts and our priorities. Are you tracking with me? You see, there is a sense in which, though God is fully in control of the universe, I and you still have the ability to deny him and to refuse to worship him and to submit to his authority. Yes, he is still king, but I can fight back against his authority in my life. And many of us in this room who are now Christians remember a time when that's what we did. We fought against the authority of God. You see, when we think of encroaching kingdoms, it often sounds bad, doesn't it? And in fact, perhaps tonight you're hearing for the first time that Jesus isn't merely just for you or just for us, that he's about a kingdom in which his dominion would be respected. And that can almost sound negative, but I want to give you some good truth tonight. The kingdom of God is good news. The kingdom of God is good news. In fact, the word for good news in the Greek is evangelion. It's where we get the word evangelism. When we talk about spreading the good news of Jesus, we aren't simply talking about the good news that God loves us or that God has a purpose. We're talking about the good news that, hey, we live in a broken system and that the kingdom of this world is dying due to its own sin, but God sent his son into the world that he may have dominion and authority in this realm and in this culture and in my life. You see, the good news of the kingdom of God is that our kingdoms, when we try to do this without him, they're all messed up. Government absent of God is a disaster. It's a power grab. Life individually absent of God is chaos. You never find what you're looking for. And the harder you look, the more it evades you. You never find peace. You never find joy. Marriage absent of God is merely a power grab to receive from the other what we should be getting from God. Relationships absent God are broken. Families absent God are temporary at best. Governments absent God are chaotic power grabs where people suffer and die at the hands of the few with authority. But the good news tonight for our culture, for our world, for our country, and for your life is that Jesus came into this world to bring his kingdom for you and for us. And when God's dominion is respected. And when the king is lifted up, the Bible says he draws all men unto himself and we can have peace where there was chaos. We can have happiness where there was brokenness. Your marriage can have restoration where there was separation. Your relationships can have meaning and purpose and you can begin to live in a sense of freedom and joy that you could never get unless the kingdom of God is at hand. It's good news for us. Look at what we see in Mark chapter 1, verses 4. 
through 15. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God that the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. You see, when it comes to being a Christian, there's no list of rules you have to keep. You merely have to believe that the king has come and that he's come for you. Jesus Christ is Lord. When we proclaim that, we are proclaiming he's my king and he's the king. And next to him, there's no other. It's that simple. The king rules in his kingdom. That is the nature of the kingdom. It's good news. It's good news. It doesn't encroach on my freedom. It gives power to my freedom. It gives holiness to my freedom. It gives purpose to my freedom. In fact, the Bible says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So as you think about the kingdom of God coming into your life, don't for a moment worry about what you'll lose. What you'll gain is freedom. All you'll lose are the chains of the old kingdom. That's the nature of the kingdom. Let's talk tonight about the purpose of the kingdom. If the nature of the kingdom is the what, the purpose of the kingdom is the why. And I want to throw some scripture at you tonight because I don't think that we can afford to miss this. Why bring in a kingdom? We believe that in the beginning, God created man and woman in his image. Amen? And God dwelt with them personally. And when they sinned and were separated from God, God punished them personally. And it's easy to believe and to boil down the good news of the kingdom into an individualistic message. And sometimes today in churches, the message of the kingdom is reduced down to an individualistic message. They'll ask questions like this. How's your relationship with God? It's an important question, but I believe the most important question is, is God your king? You see, I can think a relationship is healthy. You may ask me tonight, how's your relationship with your wife? And I may say it's great, but if my, you ask my wife the same question, and she says, well, it's not so good. You see, my opinion there doesn't really matter. The truth is, it's the king's opinion that matters, not mine. The kingdom is bigger than just me, but why? Why isn't it enough that God can just save individuals? Why is God looking to institute and bring about a kingdom? There's about a hundred different answers to this question, and many of them are correct. And remember, tonight the purpose isn't to give you all the details of the kingdom. We're going to try to do that in the coming weeks and months, but tonight I want to give you the big picture. Here's why, big picture, the number one reason why I think God is all about a kingdom and not just all about us as individuals. I believe it's because God, if you take his purposes and his will and you bring it down to the most fundamental aspect, here's what I think God wants to do in the world. I think he wants to make all things new. In Genesis chapter 3, all things were new. But Satan came in, and Satan tempted, and Satan brought chaos into the kingdom. And because chaos and divided loyalty had entered into the kingdom, because the dominion of God had been assaulted... God had to break the kingdom up and he had to move man out of the kingdom because of man's sin. And all throughout the Old Testament, into the life of Jesus, what you find is that above all, what God is doing in the world post the fall in Genesis 3 is God is on a mission through the person of Jesus Christ to make all things new. Here's why this is good news. 
some aspects of my life are so broken, they can't be fixed. Does that make sense? You see, a gospel that teaches that Jesus is here to fix your problems is a gospel that forgets that the purpose of God is not to fix problems, it's to make all things new. You see, when we get saved, we don't merely become better versions of the old me. We become a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old things pass away. Behold, all things are becoming new. Look at what he does at the end of the age. So I want to take you for just a moment to the same place the angel took the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. This is Revelation 21. And I'm going to throw quite a bit of scripture at you tonight, but I want you to hear this as if a letter was being read to you. In Revelation 21, the Apostle John, this man that had followed Jesus, had a close relationship with him while he was here on earth, he gets a vision, and the vision he gets is what everything looks like when it's all said and done. This is if you get to skip to the end of the movie and see the conclusion before you see the rest of the climax and the rest of the story. You with me? So if we want to go to what God's ultimate purpose in his kingdom is, the easy thing to do is we can just cheat, skip to the end of our Bible and say, okay, what does it look like at the end? Where was all of this leading? And I want you to see it because this is beautiful. And if I get emotional, I apologize. I don't really apologize because it's important to me and it should be important to us in his kingdom. Amen? Look at this. This is the end goal of Jesus in the kingdom. This is what the king is looking to accomplish. He says, then I saw, John is speaking, he's looking at this scene, a new heaven and a new earth. Not a fixed heaven and a fixed earth. Not a restored heaven and a restored earth. Not a better heaven and a better earth, but a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. Church, tonight, if God feels far from you, that is not his purpose. He has not abandoned you. He is not running from you because you're too messed up. It has been his goal from the beginning to dwell with you. It says they will be his people and God himself will be their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. God's purpose in the kingdom is to destroy what is broken forever and to create something new. It says he who was seated on the throne said I am making everything new. Everything. Church, we argue and we fight and we bicker about how to fix our culture. When in reality, if we were serious about the message of the kingdom of God, we would be honest with people and tell them our culture cannot be saved. It can only be replaced. Our problems cannot be fixed absent the presence of the dominion and the authority of God Almighty. God is not looking to fix what's broken. He's looking to replace it. God is not looking to make you a better you. He's looking to make you a new creation in Christ Jesus. He said, I'm making all things new. He said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Church, that is good news. God is making all things new, and it doesn't cost us anything except our allegiance to the king. You want to be there? 
You want to see it? You want all the things that are broken in your life to be replaced with what is perfect in the image of God? You must simply bow the knee to the king while you're here. You must simply respect the authority of the king on his terms while we are here. But notice, this picture, as beautiful as it is, this is happening who knows how long from now. This could be months, years, decades, millennia down the road. We don't know how long it's going to take for us to get to Revelation 21. So what I want to do before we close tonight is ask the question, well, what about here and now? All right, we know the nature of the kingdom It's about the dominion of the king. It's about God's good reign and rule. And we know that it's good news. Okay, it's good news for me because at the end of the day, God's going to make all things new. And all this brokenness in my life, all this brokenness in me is going to one day be restored. And one day it will be perfect. And one day God will wipe the tears from my eyes. But God, what about the tears right now? What about the struggle today? What about the hurt I experienced this week? Do we have to wait until Revelation 21 to get the newness and the restoration? The kingdom of God is good news because God is making all things new. But understand, he isn't waiting until the end of the age to make all things new in you. In fact, in you and in me is where he starts. God is looking to make all things new, and he starts in the hearts of his own people. He starts in his own people. 2 Corinthians 5 says it this way. It says, now on, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Although we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Anybody got a past? Anybody got a past that was broken, that you're not proud of? Anybody got a past that you wish you could forget? See, the good news of the king is that in his government, in his dominion, you have no past. He's forgotten it. Those things you still feel guilty about, he doesn't condemn you for because he doesn't know they exist. He's forgotten them. There is no past record in his kingdom in fact in the early church they said listen those things that you did in your body that you're ashamed of we no longer regard you as such in fact we don't really even regard you in flesh at all some of us today still carry the scars of yesterday and as much as you want to forget sometimes you look at the scars and you remember it's hard to forget when you carry them with you every day amen I remember when my dad got saved. He had a bunch of tattoos that he no longer wanted to walk around with. And you know, it would have been amazing if he could have just gotten new skin. But the truth is, the best he could do in this kingdom is just cover up the old with something to try to sort of mask the old. But one day, God's going to wipe it away. It's going to be new. You see, we don't regard each other according to the flesh they said listen when we knew Jesus for those three and a half years that he walked the earth we regarded him as a man but when he got up from the grave after he died we realized this is no longer about this being a man this is the son of God they said just like we now regard Jesus as the reigning king of the universe we no longer regard each other according to the past says therefore anyone who is in Christ is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come understand tonight Some of us in the room have experienced this, but we still live in the old. We've experienced the new, but we still live in the old. When you do that, you're drinking the water of the world's kingdom. And you're not drinking the living water that Jesus has for you. If you constantly repeat your mistakes back to yourself and condemn yourself, give yourself the freedom tonight to do for yourself what Jesus has already died to do for you. 
In fact, I'll go so far as to say this. When we condemn ourselves for the past that Jesus already died for, what we're really doing is we're telling Jesus that his death wasn't enough for me. My past is bigger than your death, Jesus. Now, we would never say that, would we? But the truth is, when we dig up what God has buried, we're telling Jesus, hey, your kingdom isn't enough for me. I still need to hang on to this. There's a Christian in the room tonight that needs to hear this message. Let your past die on Jesus and leave it there. Because he was buried with it, and when he got up, he didn't still have it. If he didn't carry it with him when he got up out of the grave, you quit going back and trying to find it. It's not there for you anymore. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And he says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now we're starting to see our part in the kingdom. Not only is the kingdom good news for culture, but it's good news for me because God's making the culture new and he's made me new. And now my place in the kingdom is to take this new self that God has given me and go find some people who are still in the old kingdom and say, listen, you can't fix what's wrong because you belong to the wrong kingdom. Your king is wrong. You don't need to try to fix yourself. You need to replace your king. You need a new king. And God did the work to be brought into the kingdom. You say, how do we become part of the kingdom? You bow the knee to the king. You simply confess your allegiance to the king. God's making all things new, and he's starting in me and you. I didn't intend for that to rhyme, but I'll keep it. I like that. He's making all things new, and he's starting in me and you. Why is he doing this? You ever thought about the fact that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit have existed for eternity in heaven? Not even heaven the way we think of it. Because they've existed outside of time and space for all of eternity. And they have existed in a form that is completely self-reliant. When they created me and you and the world and all the things that inhabit the world, he did not do that to fill any need in and of himself. We understand that, right? Have you ever wondered why God went to such great lengths to redeem us and bring us into the kingdom when he could have easily just wiped us out and started over? Or he could have just wiped us out and said, you know what, I don't need anything. I'm God. I don't need anybody or anything. I'll simply have just me. Have us, the Trinity, perhaps the angels. But yet, God continues to dwell with us and labor with us and convict us and work with us. And he does it for the praise of his glory. He does it for the praise of his glory. If somebody were to ask you, who is God? I hope above all answers you would tell him he is the king of the universe, the creator and the sustainer. Say, well, what about our relationship with God? He came to make all things new. And he starts in me and he starts in you. Why does he do that? He does it because he's looking for glory. He does it because he's looking for glory. Now, we could do a series on the glory of God. We could do a year-long series on the glory of God. I know myself, I could do a decade-long series on the glory of God, and that would be an introduction to the series on the glory of God. So tonight, I've got to take God's glory and wrap it up in just a few minutes. So here's what I want to do. 
I want to show you why God is looking for glory. He's looking for praise and he's looking for worshipers. Now remember, this has to do with mine and your place in the kingdom. Why is he doing this for us? What is God looking for out of me? He's looking for me and he's looking for you to give him glory and give him praise. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to throw some scripture at you and then we're going to get ready to close. Ephesians chapter 1 I've underlined some phrases up here. Now, these aren't underlined in your Bible. I added these for emphasis because I want you to see this. We're about to see a picture of what Jesus is doing in his people. And I've underlined this phrase that appears over and over in this paragraph of Scripture. It says that, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's looking for the praise of his glory. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight and love. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, which he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. There he is as king. We will be unified under Christ as our king. How do we fix the racial divide in America? We don't. We need a new king. He unifies. We don't. We can't. We're too messed up. How do we fix the political divide in America? We can't. We need a new king. A new president can't fix it. King Jesus can. When his dominion is respected, he can. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be to the what? Praise of his glory. Why is God making all things new? Why go to all this trouble when he could simply just enjoy his life eternally as God? He does it because he is looking to take messed up people and make them new. You see, God, God gets a lot of glory on his own. In fact, Glory to God is like heat is to fire. It's not something that he has to receive from others. It's part of his own character. Fire doesn't need us to help it be hot. It's just hot. Amen? God does not need us to give him glory for God to be glorious. He is just glorious. And God has existed eternally and for however long ago it was that he created the angels for his glory for whatever reason in God's mind God decided that it was not merely enough to be worshiped by angels he created a race of humans and he gave us the freedom to choose whether or not to respect his dominion unbelievable that he would do that why would he do that I don't know that we can ever truly know but what I think we can know is this God gets the most glory when the most screwed up people like me get restored. When God takes somebody broken and makes them new, and that person goes from death into life, 
And what was dead is now alive, and what was chaotic is now ordered, and what was broken is now brand new, not even the same as it used to be. The whole world has no idea what to do with that. You see, that's why your testimony is such a powerful weapon, because not even the angels have a testimony like yours. The Bible says they long to look into what we innately understand as Christians, that I was dead and I've been made alive in Christ. And I now and you now exist for the praise of his glory. If there's one thing in your life you cannot fail to do, it's give him praise. You can fail to make money. God's got plenty of money. He's your provider. You can fail to be healthy. God's the healer. He can heal you. You can fail to make all the good decisions. God died to fix your bad decisions. He died to make you new. God took care of that. You can fail to be popular. God himself sent Jesus, his son, into the world. Even he wasn't popular. You can fail to achieve worldly success. Even Jesus failed to achieve worldly success. But you and I cannot fail to praise his glorious grace. It's why we were created. My place and your place in the kingdom is to give praise to his glory. It's the one job God has given us. I want to ask Pastor Brian to come up as we prepare to close our message tonight. Our place in the kingdom is this. We exist to give praise to God. Let's go to our last point. Let's look at our place in the kingdom. So we exist to give God praise. We exist to give God glory. But I want you all to stick with me for just a second. We're almost done. How many of us struggle to do it? Like, if, if you've got it figured out tonight, and you're like, listen, Pastor Blake, my life is a perfect testament to the grace and the glory of God. I want to encourage you to quit your job and come pastor this church, because we need your help. Because our team of elders, as good as it is, we are all imperfect vessels for this message of God's glorious grace that we've been given. And every day... When I lay my head down at night before I go to sleep, I think back through the day that I lived and I think of all the missed opportunities I had to give God grace and glory, to give praise to his glorious grace. It's hard. It's hard when we're distracted. I want to give an illustration. I want you all to see if you can track with this. Tony Evans did this, so don't give me credit for this. I'm not that creative. This was Tony Evans. He said that, Christians living in the world are like humans going scuba diving. Anybody ever gone scuba diving in the room before? Phil, I knew you would raise your hand. I knew that. You've got the look of a scuba diver and a hockey player and a guy that I wouldn't mess with, just generally. When I was at Murray State years and years and years ago, I was doing poorly in the hard classes, so I needed some easy classes that I could get A's in so I could keep my GPA up. So I took scuba diving. And they took a scuba dive. Yeah, Phil's already like, you don't know how hard it was. You're exactly right. It's in a pool. They took a scuba diving in a pool. I thought, how hard can it be? I can swim in a pool without scuba gear. Give me scuba gear. It'll be really easy. What I figured out about scuba diving is that there is a skill to breathing the oxygen out of that tank. And you see, when you are in a body of water, you are in a foreign kingdom. When you're in the ocean scuba diving, when you're in a river scuba diving, you are there not as an inhabitant of that kingdom, but you're there as a visitor. You're a sojourner. You're an exile. They don't want you there any more than you want to be there. You don't belong there. 
you don't breathe the air that everybody there breathes. And Tony Evans said it like this. He said that Christians living in the world today with all of the world's troubles and problems and anxieties and worries and fears and brokenness are like scuba divers. The only way that we survive this, church, is that we have to be getting our breath and our source from the kingdom that we actually belong to. You try to breathe this world's air, and you'll choke to death and you'll suffocate. You won't make it long. You'll struggle. Here's what I see Christians doing. This isn't Tony Evans. This is me. So if this is good, give me credit. If it's bad, blame Tony Evans, all right? Here's what I see Christians doing. Every time we come to church, it's like we're rising to the surface for air. <gasps> I need some Jesus this weekend. I need some encouragement. I'm struggling. I need some help. My life is messed up. I need to talk to somebody. It's disaster again. I'm really struggling. I barely make it through the week. I don't know what I'm going to do. My life is such a mess. And we come to church hoping that somehow church will be the answer. But when Monday comes around, we got to stick our head back down in the water and we try to swim. And we're sucking the air that the world gives us. And we were never meant to breathe it. And there's a lot of struggling Christians in the world right now that are breathing the oxygen of this world. And the truth is, you can't do it. You'll suffocate and you'll always be struggling. If you look at the king's goal tonight, which is to make all things new, and he wants to start with you, ask yourself if that's the freedom you live in or are you suffocating right now? Are you struggling? Are you broken? The answer isn't that we come up for air and we try to escape. Boy, don't we love to isolate when we struggle? Isn't that what we love to do? I just got to get out of this. I just got to get away from it. I just got to go isolate. I just, me and Jesus, I don't need nobody else. I don't need to be part of this world anymore. I just want to be alone. But Jesus prayed in John 17, I don't want you to take them out of the world, God. I don't want you to leave them in the world. I just don't want the world to be in them. You see, God's goal for you is not that you would exit the water. It's that you would start breathing the air that he gives you. A lot of Christians, we're in the water, but we're not breathing the air that God gives. It's time that we see it, and it's time that we realign ourselves with the king. Tonight, I think there's also the possibility that you're coming to church, and it's a great thing that you're at church. But if you're honest with yourself, this isn't really you. You belong out there, but you've ended up in here. And if that's you, church can feel extremely unnatural, and we can seem really weird. We look like fish when you're used to seeing people. Not always pretty, 